So hey, was that a cool rendition of God Rest You Merry Gentlemen or what? I, I feel more hip this morning for some reason. I, I don't know that I can, but I don't even know if that's a word. Do they use that anymore? I, I think I just swiped my old guy card. Anyway, that's okay. Hey, <laughs> my name is Pastor Phil. I want to welcome you to Word Serve Church. Uh, obviously, it's the Advent season where we're talking about Christmas, and we have been talking about Christmas. There's a phrase in the song called Comfort and Joy. We sang that this morning, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, uh, Comfort and Joy is a part of what we associate with this season. But here's the interesting thing when it comes to the reality of Jesus coming to earth. There wasn't very much comfort, and the joy was different than we encountered joy. What do you mean, Bill? Well, this is what we've been talking about. It's less is more. Less is more when it comes to heaven's interpretation of joy. So we've talked about childless. We've talked about husbandless. Today we're talking about worthless, my specialty. And then finally, selfless on Christmas Eve. Bet you can't guess who that is. Right? So this is the hard part, and, and maybe you feel my pain, but you know, Christmas comes every year. It's a story that you've probably heard, depending on how many trips you have around the sun, a lot of times. And you may be going, what could I possibly learn about the Christmas story? I mean, I've heard this a million times. Well, sometimes we learn things. Sometimes we relearn things. But the point is, great stories are great for a reason. They're timeless. There are principles that we need to carry inside our hearts and maybe be reminded of on occasion. And so this morning, I'm going to hopefully walk us through something that some of us may learn, some of us may relearn, but I guarantee it'll be worth our time. And it all starts with tennis. Not that. Tennis. <laughs> tennis, yes. Uh, any tennis fans? Oh, this is going to be better than I thought. I thought I was picking something obscure. And I, want to, I want to tell you the story real briefly of the 2019 U.S. Open. Now, I am not a tennis person. I have nothing against it. I just don't generally watch it. But this story fascinates me. And I want to tell you about a tennis player named Sloan. Sloan was a promising uh, start into women's professional tennis. She had some success in the like 2013 through 2014. 2016, she got injured, had a slew of injuries that followed that because, you know, when you're an athlete, you don't want to slow down and take care of yourself. you got to go win. And so in pushing, she had more and more problems, ended up having foot surgery in 2018. And foot surgery for a tennis player, I'm guessing, is kind of a big deal, right? Have you ever seen how they, yeah, they got to move, they got to cut, they got to go. So the year before <clears throat> this, she has foot surgery, and she's trying to recover. And she goes, you know what, 2019, I'm going to enter the U.S. Open. And so Sloan enters the U.S. Open in 2019, unseated, ranked number 84. Doesn't that sound promising? After coming off all these injuries, she does this. The most amazing thing happens. She begins to win and win and win. And she ends up in the semifinals of the 2019 U.S. Open. Is that awesome? Where she faces, do you know who that is? Venus Williams. Yeah, how would you like to face Venus Williams in the semifinals of the U.S. Open? Yeah, well, <laughs> let me tell you how it went. Now, this is the, here's the, the, whoops, sorry. Here's the, the scores. Yeah, for those of you who uh, don't play tennis, these are games, and it comes into a set. So look at what happens. There's 6-1. Uh, this is probably, oh, oh, uh, I got to do something here. But look at this rally. Oh, and six. It comes back. Boom. 
And then look at the last one. It was back and forth. Normally, they just go to six, but you can't win by one. You got to win by two. So this was a battle. This was something to be proud of, because a year ago, she was coming off a broken foot and all that stuff. And so this was a hard-fought match. And it was too bad that Venus Williams lost. Sloan won. Sloan won the semifinals of the 2019 US Open, which meant that she then had to go and face Madison Keys. Anybody Madison Key fan? I don't even know who that is, but I got her picture. <laughs> <laughs> and here's where it goes a little, mm, you know, so here's the sets. She didn't even get to three games. It was just two games, because if you win by two, there's no point in playing a third, right? Look at the scores. Six to three, six to zero got trounced. I think that would be kind of embarrassing for Madison Keys, who lost to the number 84th ranked Sloan. Can you believe that? A year prior, broken foot coming off of injuries, she goes through the US Open and wins the whole thing. Isn't that an awesome underdog story? Do, do you like underdog stories? I'm a big fan. I love underdog stories. And their Bible is full of underdog stories. But I've got one better for you, words are, instead of just hearing an underdog story, how would you like to participate in one? I think that's going to be a fun adventure for us. Let's see if we want to participate in this one. And here's where that underdog story starts, with the shepherds in the fields by night, or as some would say, in the middle of nowhere with a cast of nobodies. This is where our adventure begins. We're going to read from Luke chapter 2. Um, for those of you who are Peanuts fans, you might hear Linus read some of this. I'm not going to read it like Linus. You're welcome. But I will read it like Bill. And I will ask my trusty uh, computer people to flip through the words, if you would, so that I don't flip and talk, because that just never works well. All right. Here we go. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. These are the words of God for the people of God and for these words we are grateful. This is an interesting conundrum to me. Because here you are, you've got the biggest single announcement. Like, think about any time in the Bible, when did you see the heavenly hosts appear? When did you see them praising in such public manner? And then, you know, you think, okay, well, this is it. This must be the Messiah. And then you begin to look at what they're supposed to look for in terms of signs. Hmm. All right. The angel said, don't be afraid. He's going to be in the, in this, the town of David. Okay, well, that makes sense if you're a fan of prophecy. So far, so good. Here's what you're going to look for. You're going to look for a baby. Okay, I would have expected a king, a warrior, 
uh, like a David or a, a Solomon or a, a Joshua, something like that. But okay, baby, that's a little weird, but I'll work with it. I'll work with it. Wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Wait, what? <laughs> you said a manger? You, the Savior, the Messiah, is lying in a feeding trough for animals? Have I got this right? I would be questioning. I would be that guy. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> and I probably would be turned into a pillar of salt. I don't know what would happen to me. But I would be the guy going, wait a minute. Wait, this makes zero sense. You're sending a baby, and it's lying in a feeding trough. I don't get this. And you're asking me to go see this? Doesn't that sound a little odd to you? It does to me. But you know what? Here's the one question that no one is asking, not even in the scripture. The heavenly host the greatest announcement that has ever happened from the heavens. Why are you talking to the shepherds? That's my question. Why would you pull all the stops out, bring all the heavenly hosts, sing praise to God to a middle-of-nowhere cast-of-nobody's scenario? Who are the shepherds? They're not anybody. Think about what the shepherds were to that culture. Man, they, they weren't uh, like the most popular. They weren't the most educated. They were kind of seen as outcasts because they spent a lot of time out in the fields. Some would even consider them untrustworthy because they just never knew where they were going to be or what they were going to do. They were considered, at best, lower class. So why the shepherds? It's a great question. You know, there's a little bit of irony when you think about this. If you uh, were to pick anybody in a modern context, who would you make that announcement to if you were God? Would you go to the guy who collects aluminum cans and turns it into recycling? <laughs> or would you go to the media moguls where you could get the most reach? Or would you go to a social media influencer where you could get the word out quick? Yeah, I would have done it different, which is why I'm not God. Thank God. But there's a great irony here because the shepherds are central to Israel and everything about it. Think about this. Uh, whoops, I went too far. Think about this irony. Abraham, you might be familiar with Abraham. That's where this whole adventure started. Remember, God said to Abraham, go to a land that I will give you. You will have descendants that are as many as the stars in the sky. And that was Abraham. What was Abraham's profession? Uh, shepherd. Interesting, yeah. Uh, it, whenever God appears in the Old Testament, he always introduces himself as though we forget. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, that's where it all starts. This guy Abraham was a shepherd. Fast forward a little bit, Jacob, uh, Abraham's grandson. Jacob was so influential to the formation of the nation of Israel that God changed his name to Israel. <laughs> what was Jacob's profession? Uh, shepherd. Yeah, that's how he got his wealth. That's how he got some influence, uh, that and kind of cheating the birthright thing. That's a whole different story. We'll, we'll talk about that one some other time. Uh, fast forward a little bit then into the, 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 the history of Israel where they kind of get, you know, taken slaves for 400 years. And then there's this deliverer. His name is Moses. Now, Moses is an interesting character because Moses was educated in the finest of Egyptian courts. He was basically prince material right up until he lost his temper. And then he had to flee. Now, you would think if God were picking someone to deliver an entire nation from slavery for over 400 years, you would pick that guy, that Harvard-educated uh, masters or whatever in, in business, whatever. You would pick that guy. But God wasn't ready to pick him yet. 
He had a second career for Moses. What was Moses' second career? Uh, shepherd. You have to say, uh, first. Yeah. All right. Then you go a little bit more forward into, uh, you know, you're, you're at the point where you need a king. And this king is going to be bold, a man after God's own heart. Where do you find this king? Uh, shepherd. <laughs> Right. Do you see the, the history of Shepherd and, and the importance in Israel? So if you're wondering why this greatest announcement of all time from the heavenly host goes to the shepherds, it's because it's ingrained in the very history of Israel. And it's not just a profession. It's the nature of what a shepherd is. I'm going to start from the negative, and we're going to go back to the positive. The negative is the angst that appeared. Uh, if you look, there's a couple of great passages if you ever want to know how not to shepherd. Uh, in the Old Testament, the prophets often railed against the religious leaders. And they used the analogy of a shepherd. You're doing a poor job as a shepherd. And the reason was that they were leading them astray. They were taking them in directions that God did not want them to go. So I'll read just a, a little bit of an example from Jeremiah. This is the prophet Jeremiah talking to the religious leaders of the day. Uh, you know, these prophets, you just never know what they're thinking. I wish they would be more clear, right? Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. There, there's no mincing words. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing. Boy, how would you like to get that as your job review? How's your job review? Well, it starts out, woe to you, and the rest went downhill, <laughs> right? And so this is a, a repeat pattern in the Old Testament. You can read it in many of the prophets, and they have these back and forth with the religious leaders of the time. But it doesn't end there. Jesus himself gets into the mix here. In Matthew 23, speaking of job performances, Matthew 23, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because uh, it would just be too much, right? But let's just say there's this phrase, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, seven times in the 23rd chapter of Matthew. Now, what do we know about the number seven in symbology, in biblical symbology? It's maturity or completeness. It's like you can't get any more woe to you than Jesus is saying right here. It's like woe to you up, down, back ways yesterday and today. A lot of woe, right? And he calls them, you know, friendly names like brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, and, and at the end of the verse, uh, the chapter here, Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus knows that the shepherd is the design for his people. And Jesus himself uh, participates in that. If you look at the character of a shepherd, this is Jesus himself later in John chapter 10. He describes himself as a shepherd, <laughs> right? The good shepherd. 
I had to say uh, again. And so uh, I'll just read it here. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, of all the great leaders of Israel who were shepherds, guess who was the good shepherd? Jesus himself. And he gives us an inkling to the character of what it is to lead people for God. And I'm not talking about just pastors or religious professionals. I'm talking about all of us. Because what is our mission, word sir? Making disciples. You have to lead people to make disciples. I'm not talking about a formal post or a formal authority. I'm talking about a model by which we accomplish the mission of making disciples. And the way that we do it best is to learn a little bit from shepherds. The shepherds who are willing to lay down their life. When Jesus calls us, he says, pick up your cross daily and die to self. Now, not literally. I, I don't think many of us will be called upon to lay our physical life down for Jesus. We may. It might happen. But you know what? And I don't mean to make light of this. That might be the easy way is to lay down our life for Jesus. You know what the harder way is? It's to live our life for Jesus. Because this culture and this society does not make that easy. It goes against the grain of the culture, as Jesus has always been countercultural. I don't know if you picked up on that. Because he calls us to something that's more than this fallen world. He calls us to something beautiful of his making. And his whole goal is to restore the very creation that he started with, which is countercultural to a fallen world. It's not going to give you comfort. Well, it might give you comfort. Let me, let me rephrase that. It will give you comfort in the knowledge of that. It will not be comfortable. And that's the point that we want to make. If you look at the way shepherds operate, I would encourage you to go back and look at a series called Psalm 23. Uh, we did it about, I don't know, three, four months ago, where we went through four weeks of all about what a shepherd is like. And just to highlight a couple of those things, they are literally willing to lay down their life. When they bring the sheep in into a pen at night, there's one gate, only one gate that you can get in and out of. That's to protect the sheep. But there's an opening. So guess how they close the opening? The shepherd lays down and sleeps there. So if something is trying to get in and get to the sheep, it's got to get through the shepherd. You may recall the story of uh, David, and, you know, the man after God's own heart who Samuel found out in the field taking care of sheep. And then there's this guy called Goliath who starts to insult God. There's an entire army sitting there looking at him. He comes out and challenges them every day. Seasoned warriors, professionals. And who takes up the challenge of Goliath? Uh, shepherd. <laughs> Why? <clears throat> because shepherds were used to protecting their flock. And so when David sees this Goliath, he's like, and I've taken care of bears bigger than this dude. I got a sling. I'm good to go. Put me in, coach. And he does it. That's the character of a shepherd, willing to lay down their life, willing to protect the flock. The other things that we learned in our series earlier are just how meticulous they are about making sure that they provide. You know, the lead me beside still waters, make me lie down in green pastures. 
And sometimes to get there, you have to go through the tough times. And some of you are going through tough times right now. And in those tough times, it's not like the shepherd says, hey, here's your destination. Good luck. Let me know when you get there. Send me a postcard. Shoot me a text. No, he says, I will be with you. You know that part, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you can't comfort me from afar, you have to be walking with me. And it's that encouragement to keep walking that gets us through the valley of shadow of death, not in and parked there. See, that's what shepherds do. That's the call for us. And, and maybe that's the call for the heavenly host, the reason that they showed up to the shepherds. Think for just a minute. Who were the most influential people in the nation of Israel at that time? I would have to guess the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, the Sanhedrin, the, the governing body. What if the heavenly host had showed up to that body? How different would the story be? You can run a million scenarios, and, and, and this isn't scripture. This is just me you know, thinking because I got nothing better to do. But if I'm in charge, if I'm the Sanhedrin and my life is good, like I have respect, I have a cush job, I'm fairly wealthy, you know, considering the, the, what was going on in the day, am I going to tell you something that's going to possibly take all that away from me? No, see, I'm, I'm worried about my comfort. And we're back to that word comfort again. I want my comfort. I don't want the comfort of salvation. I want comfortable. And so I wonder if that story would have even gotten out. I wonder if they'd have had to call a special enclave. You know, we need to debate this. Is this a real thing or is it not? We need to pass a resolution. And we need to get into a political process by which we decide. Is this baby truly the Messiah? And if so, do we want to recognize that? I don't know how the story would have been different. I just know that God knows who to tell stories to. And God chose to tell the story to the shepherds. I think the bottom line, why God chose the shepherds to tell this story to, is because of their response. You remember the last week we talked about when God speaks, we have to respond. And that response is where God really begins to work. God speaks into creation things, but creation has to respond. God speaks things into our life, but we have to respond for God to be at work. And I think this sums it up perfectly. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the lowly things and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the, the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's in the process of making disciples and the process of this mission that God calls us to. We have no room to boast. It's not about us. It's not about you. It is about him. And if we are going to boast, then let us boast in God. Let us boast in Jesus Christ. But it's not about us. Maybe that's another reason that God chose the shepherds. I think one of the most compelling reasons, though, is think about the status of that shepherd. They were probably one of the lowest of the lows in that society. And if God would appear to the lowest of the lows, who would he not appear to then? See, if he had gone to the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, then you would understand that, well, God just is among those favored, the, the higher class, the better educated, the ones who drive the latest model of camel, uh, you know, whatever, <laughs> right? 
But no, we're not for the poor people. And God appears exactly to those lower class people. God himself, in the form of Jesus Christ, appears in a manger, in an animal trough. Can you get any lower than that? I don't think so. All to say, there is no place that God won't go to find us. And, and so if you are in a place where you're questioning, man, I've done some things that are pretty out there. Yeah, God is farther out there. I've done some things that are pretty low. God is lower still in order to pick you up and bring you home. There's no place that you can go. Read Psalm 139 sometime and ask yourself, is there anything I can do, any place I can go that God's redemption cannot find me and bring me home? The answer is no. <laughs> you can't. And if you think you've done something that God can't fix, well, that makes you more powerful than God. Congratulations. And if that's the case, I'm going to start praying to you because you're more powerful than God. Obviously, I'm not going to do that. I'm surprised I'm not struck by lightning. <laughs> but you get my point. There is no place we can go. There is no depth to which we can descend that God has not gone deeper still to pick us up and help us find our way home. That's the beauty of God. So what do we do with this? I want to encourage you, word serve. This is something that we can either learn or relearn, but I hope that we'll think and act like shepherds. I think that we'll hopefully feel a responsibility to care for the other. Uh, that comes out like love neighbor as self. I think we've heard that before. That comes out like love God and follow. Die to self daily. Pick up your cross. Follow where he leads with the intent to bring not only ourselves home, but as many people as we can round up. And when we do that, we don't boast, that, oh, look what I did. Look who I saved. I have saved no one. I've been in this business professionally for 12 years. I have saved no one, but Jesus has. And then finally, we think about this humility, this, this shepherd, this humbleness. And people don't like that word here. Uh, humble? Mm, no, not so much. I'm all that. <laughs> well, here's what I would encourage you. God is not asking us to dumb down. He is asking us to bow down. And here's the difference. You should be as capable as you can be. You should be as dangerous as you need to be. You should be as informed as you can be. You should be as prayed up as you can be. You should not hide your talents. You should develop your talents. But here's the difference. When you are all that, give all that to God. Let him use that and see what he can do. I guarantee you it will be amazing. I want to end with a quote from Casting Crowns. This is a song. Ultimately, I would think if I ever had an epitaph, you know, something engraved on a, a headstone, this is what I would say. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who saved my soul. I think that's a good way to go. That's what I learned from the Christmas story. See, because what humans call worthless, God calls worthy not because of us, but because of him. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that came in the form of a little baby in a manger. We thank you for shepherds, for their response, for their willingness to not only go as they were told, 
to perhaps leave the flock that was their livelihood, but then to go and tell others, not worrying about what they would be accepted, whether they would be heard, whether they would be scorned, not questioning who do you think you are. They're just doing what you told them. God, I pray that for us too, that we wouldn't worry about how people perceive us, wouldn't worry about the words that we say. I know you'll give us the words that we need. And maybe we don't need words. Maybe we just need the actions, the actions that care for people, that bring them to you, bring them home. God, whatever that is, we want to give that to you this morning. We want to have the humility to say, whatever you need, Lord, send me and help me to think and act like a shepherd. I pray this in Jesus' name.